Telecast, the TV industry news review. Hello, I'm Justin Crosby, and welcome to this week's Telecast. On this week's show, my guests are Lucy Smith, director of MIP TV and now MIPCOM at Read Me Dem, clinical psychologist and leadership coach Maretta Weddles Weddlesborg, and well-being coach Tracy Forsyth. It's all coming up on this week's Telecast. This week's show is sponsored by Insight TV, who passionately create and share content for the experienced generation. Channel provider, content producer, distributor and format seller, Insight TV delivers real-world stories about the adventures, cultural trends and social causes that resonate with today's millennial and Gen Z audiences. Based upon and inspired by social media trends and influencers, Insight TV operates and distributes a flagship lifestyle channel in vivid 4K UHD HDR quality to 315 million homes in 46 countries via linear cable platforms, digital smart TVs, OTT services, and via watchinsight.tv. It also distributes a mobile-first short-form channel in short, action sports channel in trouble, science and tech channel in wonder and a nature and wildlife channel in wild a co-venture with off the fence to fast channels and mobile services around the world inside tv partners with global brands and broadcasters such as red bull media house g2 esports vice media and bt sports to create factual series like epic exploring i am invincible and ultimate goal to find out how to do great things together with Insight TV, visit insight.tv or get in touch with the team at marketing at insight.tv. My first guest this week is Danish clinical psychologist, author and executive coach Maretta Weddles Weddlesborg. Maretta recently wrote a fascinating piece for Harvard Business Review entitled how to lead when your team is exhausted and you are too. And I featured a link to this article a couple of weeks ago in our Telecast Plus newsletter when Channel 4 CEO Alex Mann cited it as the inspiration for her recent open letter to employees, which was highly praised right across the TV industry. And, and I thought it was a rare example of real leadership in a TV industry that's perhaps not renowned for having particularly inspirational leaders. So I'm delighted to have Maretta join us to discuss this and some of the issues that the article raises. Welcome to Telecast, Maretta. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. I gather you're pretty busy supporting business leaders from a range of different sectors right now to get through this very difficult time. Yeah, that's absolutely true. This uh... Last year, actually, I've, I've tried to sort of condense some of the ideas and thoughts that I heard leaders talk about during this pandemic and, uh, and, and make them into a series of, uh, of pieces for HBR covering the phases of this crisis. And uh, yeah, the last one was called How to Lead When Your Team is Exhausted and You Are Too. And it turns out that quite a few leaders are feeling this issue right now. Um, so, so this is, uh, I mean, what I do 24 seven right now, coaching, advising leaders on how to cope with, uh, with this pandemic. We'll put a link to the actual article in the episode description, as well as a link to, to your website. But looking at these different challenges that you mentioned that business leaders are facing now, how are they different now to the first COVID wave as we nearly hit a, a, a year of lockdown? I mean, I don't think any of us will forget this first wave of COVID and how we reacted. And I think we saw something quite paradoxical. So obviously, a very serious and threatening situation, both from a health perspective and a business perspective. But when I talked to leaders, they sometimes told me, you know, almost in a in a shameful way, that they were feeling really energized and fired up by the situation uh, when when this first hit us back in March and April. And there were all these stories around leaders becoming very clear, very transparent, organizations pulling together. So 
many of the leaders that I've been coaching, they felt full of purpose and dedication, even though the situation was extremely serious. And I mean, that was then. And now in the second or third wave, it's quite different. So news of lockdowns or extended lockdowns are met with, I mean, big size. And, and this time, I mean, the paradox is that even companies that have gotten a lot of tailwind, so people running, for example, digital businesses and also some media companies are reporting that they're feeling exhausted, even though their businesses is, you know, going really well and even benefiting from COVID. So, I mean, I would say that the predominant emotion right now is exhaustion. We want yeah. this to be over with and we pull ourselves out of bed in the morning and it's it's really tough. The vaccine is the the one thing that's you know giving us a ray of light. Exactly. But but going back to that first few months, which I think, you know, in many ways has changed business and a lot of businesses for good. That was maybe a bit of a, a, a fight or flight response, wasn't it? It was a case of, right, let's get up and let's do something about this, whatever we can do. And that's given way now to to a different type of fatigue, I suppose, a bit of exhaustion to to, to get through this unrelenting restrictions that we're facing. Yes, that, and that's that's uh, that's true, Justin. So, I mean, the first time around, we were just so, f- you know, filled up with with fire and energy. But, but the thing is that the second time around, you you don't necessarily become better in a crisis. And so, we know this from trauma psychology that you actually don't become a better prisoner of war the second time around. However, you know, the second time around, you have your systems in place. You are better prepared. And this will strengthen your ability to sort of get through this feeling of being tired and frustrated. You you now have experience. You know how to work from home. You know how to use different kinds of uh, of Zoom and and Teams and WebEx and and you know how to protect yourself and your family. And that's very different from when this hit us the first time around, where we were all sort of both fired up with energy, but also a bit confused. And it was the first time for all of us. I mean, no one had tried this before, so we were all kind of of lost. So, so many mixed emotions. Yeah, yeah. And we're all pandemic professionals now, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. I can't imagine a male leader writing the sort of empathetic open letter to staff that Alex Mahon did. Oh, it was impressive. Are female leaders better equipped to show compassionate leadership, do you think? Not necessarily. I, I was really impressed with, with Alex's letter, I'll say, uh, also because he actually gave some quite practical pieces of advice that I really liked. When you look at countries, you know, countries run by female heads of state, they have actually taken a more strict approach during this pandemic. I mean, approaching even stricter measures, uh, you know, placing bigger emphasis on prevention. And the interesting thing to your question is that, I mean, those strategies are actually not strategies of compassion. They are more strategies of containment. And I think I remember the author of of, uh, of this study theorizing that maybe, you know, female leaders were prioritizing health over economic activity. So the interesting thing is that really this is a containment strategy when you lock down, when you use restrictions and not a, a, a compassionate uh, strategy. But but I, I've worked with both male, female leaders for many years. And I have to say that I haven't found a lot of evidence that gender determines how you lead. I've seen, or I, I, I coach male leaders whose leadership style can be described as, I mean, highly emotional and maternal. And I've seen female leaders who act in very paternal ways. So, so I, I, so, but I will say, though, that during this pandemic, we've also seen, I think, a lot of evidence of what you might call, I mean, structural sexism, right? That 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 this pandemic, there's so many women who, you know, are taking up the majority of the household costs and, uh, and so many women are leaving the labor market. Women are taking, you know, a, a bigger toll on homeschooling, housework, and, and it's had, they have been struggling a lot with this. Uh, you've probably seen the 
the US uh, Vice President Kamala Harris talk about how this this is such a shock to to the entire workforce, a national emergency even. So yeah, there are different burdens uh, on men and women during all of this, but I don't think I'll call the women more compassionate uh, during this. I've seen so many uh, male leaders, I mean, being extremely compassionate, understanding, I mean, using so much empathy and really, yeah, talking to the employees, not only about, you know, are you okay, but also, are you really okay? And you talk in your piece about leaders needing psychological stamina to Mm. push through this phase, this third lockdown phase that we're in right now. Can you expand on that a little bit? So we've talked about the reaction from the first phase and how we got energized. And, and you know, that's all due to a psychological response called, you know, it's arousal because it's stimulating. And, and I had a leader who told me, you know, so usually this will take us three months to do. And now it just took us three days, right? There was this hectic, frantic energy. And uh, you you can almost feel the rush, right? And the mind is just popping with ideas and and people are over-communicating and over-corresponding. So the thing is that now it's not so exciting anymore. And uh, there has been a shift in the gallery of leaders standing out. So I'll say that in the beginning of this pandemic, we saw a lot of the action leaders, a lot of the diehard leaders standing out. But now it's a different kind of leader standing out, um, a leader with a taste for the long stretch and the slow burn. And the root of that reaction is psychological stamina. And stamina comes from having endured tough times and, you know, having great conviction. So stamina is deeply related to, you know, you, you need to be able to regulate yourself. So you could say that in the first phase, we were all guided by the autopilot. But the second phase, we need to, you know, grab hold of the steering wheel. We need to refuel. We need to ignite that, you know, that sense of injustice and fight. And there's a lot of energy actually in uh, being a bit of, a, you know, in it being, uh, well, almost angry uh, about this. Uh, so a bit of indignation of being, you know, subjected to this pandemic uh, is actually a good thing. Uh, and obviously people are starting to question, you know, the real price of restriction. And for for business leaders, this is, this is an energy that needs to be harnessed. So a situation where, um, you know, right now where we are still, you know, under so many restrictions, we need to really pull through. And what we need there is stamina. It's, it's grit. It's that sort of feeling of, you know, we are, we, we can pull through this and we need a lot of power and energy to be able to do that. We can't just lie down and wait for it to be over under the duvet, even though sometimes we dream about, you know, a day under the duvet where we eat pizza and ice cream and uh, watch Netflix. But yeah. there's no, I mean, <laughs> and of course you're allowed to do that for a little while, but not every time something hard will hit you. Uh, just going back to your piece in a bit more detail, you, you set out three ways to deal with the challenges today. Can you take us through those in turn? The first one was understanding urgency versus importance. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So there are, or at least I've found three ways, you know, to to fight exhaustion because that's the feeling that I am hearing about and seeing all the time right now. So leaders are telling me that, you know, they eat too much chocolate, they forget to exercise, they forget to drink water, they fight with their spouse at home, they are tired of their children. It's just a horror cabinet of emotions right now. So, you know, I I was looking for, okay, so we need to look in psychology, in trauma psychology of how can we sort of pull through this uh, not only, you know, yourself, but also, you know, as a team. So the first one I, I found to be really interesting, you know, in a pandemic is to make sure that you determined, you know, determine what's urgent and what's truly important. Because in a crisis, all the things we know that's important, they sort of, they fade in the background. So urgent matters, they attract all the attention during a crisis. 
And that means that we procrastinate a little bit. We find excuses for, you know, facing the really important issues. I mean, Justin, you you wouldn't believe how many times I've heard leaders say, yeah, I'm ready, that's fine. But, you know, we'll deal with that after COVID. We'll do that after COVID. Or, oh, that uh, that particular tough subject, uh, it's not important now. <laughs> and so, so you need to, you know, take a good look at what are your big issues that need attention and what, you know, what would you change long-term, you know, for the better? So, so, so that was the first sort of strategy that I, that I found to be really helpful for the teams, the top teams that I, that I coach. So that's like, almost like grasping the nettle now. It's like the easy, the easy way out is to understand what's Mm -hmm. urgent in the short term, but actually, you know, what we should be doing is thinking much more about, you know, what is really important to the business in, in terms of how can the business accelerate out of the pandemic? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So thinking about that and talking about that and, you know, having it, you know, on your mind all the time is extremely important during this. And the second tip that you featured in your article was balancing compassion and containment. Can you explain Mm -hmm. about that? Yeah, so I, I guess... Any psychologist in the world will tell you that, you know, in a crisis, you need to dial up on compassion and empathy and understanding. Listening, caring, being flexible, those are all constructive ways of, you know, providing a psychological safe, you know, a a mental safety net even for people who feel pressured. So my point is that you should be compassionate, but you should not start to cuddle people. So the best way to explain this is that you need to be both a caring parent and a strict parent. So a lot of us in a crisis, we take the approach of trying to sort of comfort and support. And we might say, oh, it's okay, you're late. Oh, it's okay, you missed that deadline. You know, you missed it because your your child was running around with scissors. And I mean, it's okay to be tolerant, but at the same time, we need to be very careful that we don't push people into a learned helplessness trap where people don't feel that they can control their own destiny. So so the practical implication here when you think of this as a leader is to show people that you care, but you also want to provide some clear directions. And And to be honest, at this point in time, what's called for is actually a little less compassion and more containment because We've all heard all the soothing words now, you know, uh, oh, we are all in this together and and people are fed up with that. So we need to recognize specific actions now. What people crave right now is plans. What do we do now? What will we do when, you know, half of our team, when they have got the vaccine and and we still haven't? So you need to be crystal clear about expectations and and structure because that provides safety too, at least in uh, in in my experience uh, with the leaders that I work with. Yeah, and that's that's really about a roadmap, isn't it? That's about saying exactly. this is where we're going. Things are changing. Don't be late for that Zoom call again because <laughs> we're we all need to take the company to a certain place, and this is how we're going to get there. So building on that, Justin, what people really appreciate right now, I have a leader who says, so we, we want this to, we want to be done 10 minutes before we're supposed to be done. And people are just so grateful for that. Oh, an extra 10 minutes. I mean, what can you do with 10 minutes? You can, I mean, you can almost do a little yoga exercise. You can pick up some fresh water. You can, you know, maybe just uh, give someone a, something to think about. Or there's so much to do in those 10 minutes. So time is so important right now that we really respect each other's uh, time. And that, even as a small tip for a leader, that 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 really is actually quite powerful because not only is it energizing, but also it's allowing people a little bit of time between their meetings because we all know that some people have got this tyranny of Zoom calls, back-to-back Zoom calls all day. Mentally, that's exhausting. And then uh, especially when you've got kids you know, who need their lunch making that you know, you're not used to doing during the day or, you know, they need help with algebra. Well, my kids get no help from algebra for me, I'll tell you. But 
No, but that's true. I mean, I had a, a leader the other day who uh, we were in in a team session, and then uh, this this child came in with uh, with a waterproof uh, marker in I mean his entire face, and it's just so this this happens. I mean, all the time we we need to, of course, with with families working from home when you are homeschooling at the same time, it is really really hard and stressful for them. And and of course we need to cut them some extra slack and make sure that we, you know, that we keep understanding and at the same time also help them with their jobs, right? Because we don't want them to give up, and we want them to to stay in this uh, also after this this pandemic. Absolutely. Well, there's a good tip for all the leaders out there. Finish your Zoom minutes ten minutes beforehand and give everybody a bit of a break. <laughs> the third point that you made in terms of dealing with the challenges today was energize everyone every day. So, I mean, at one point I was just so surprised to see how much the burden of keeping up energy fell on the individual person. It was sort of all about find your own mental balance. What can you do to bootstrap yourself? So I found time and time again that the most effective advice is actually to try and create a culture where you also energize others. So when I learned from the Lego group that this was part of their leadership culture, I found it, you know, very inspiring to energize everyone every day. And this sounds so easy, right? And But even though and this is a cliche that, you know, you should put on your own oxygen mask first, it's it's true. And just to be really practical, Justin, so you, you could do this right after our conversation today. I mean, you can go out and energize three people around you. And I can't tell you what to do because I'm sure you know how. It could be, you know, giving someone some feedback. It could be, you know, a new deadline that you're working on. It could be, you know, that you decide, you know, how can you make it your personal mission to energize at least three people? And that will have a viral effect if all of us decide to energize a few people around us every day. And and I, I usually say to the leaders, you know, that I work with, you know, try to make sure that the first person you call in the morning, you want to make sure to energize them. You you want, you know, to leave them on a high from that conversation. Uh, so, so. So that's at least uh, part of this uh, this energy. But I, I will also say that that talking about energy and and making energy flow, that there are of course many many other ways to energize. You know, sharing success stories, setting up competitions. You know, dividing long term projects into sprints. But also, you know, to talk about exercise. You know, to take walks together to make sure, oh, you told me last Tuesday that you wanted to go for a run every day. Did you do it? Tell me about it. Um, it's it's important as ever to find, you know, your own sort of sanctuaries in all of this. What gives you pure joy and energy to do? Because sometimes, you know, those things are the first things that we give up under pressure. We consider them a luxury and not a necessity. So just when we need them the most, we stop doing it. I'm too busy to go for a run. You you don't know how many times I've I've heard that sentence uh, recently, but it's it's so important for energy that we continue our you know our exercise. And these lessons and the experiences that leaders are having right now in this you know unprecedented pandemic, how do you think that is going to benefit? business going forward you know once we're out of this once we get our vaccines and once we're we're out of this in the second half of let's let's say or the third quarter or fourth quarter of this year what are the lessons do you think that leaders will have learned from from this pandemic and how can they take that forward to a post-pandemic world i'm very inspired by Brené brown and her her research on vulnerability and how vulnerability actually helps us perform. So I think one of the lessons that I've seen leaders really, I mean, take in is that discomfort is important because for all of us, this pandemic, it, it's, it's a first timer for all of us. So we need to be able to, 
to to take this in to to take the perspectives here to reality check ourselves i think many of the leaders that i coach they have learned so much about themselves they have also learned that they are much stronger than they thought they were that that they could actually handle this they also learned another thing and that is that you can't do this alone so i mean If you think if you are one of those leaders that you know you think that you can go in and you're just the A team and oh other other leaders they need to sleep but I don't I mean that's a huge mistake. So I would say that the leaders I've seen manage best during this crisis they know when to go home and rest or they know that you know okay so now it's time for my second in command to take over and leave me time to uh, to to rest a bit and to get a bit of dinner and then I'm ready again because otherwise you you know if you communicate all the time and if you're in the battle all the time then you are not your best self so you need a bit of a break and uh, and this is something that of course in in the military in NATO units this is something that that we teach officers as a business leader i'm sure many business leader they they haven't you know tried this before where they had to be on call 24/7 we can do this for a couple of weeks but after that we we need to take breaks and do you think these new behaviors that leaders are starting to apply now and we're talking about mainly about big businesses now big big media uh, companies Do you think they're going to be better places to work after the pandemic? Oh yeah, definitely. I think so. And for and for many reasons because we have all had this huge learning experience. So we've learned so many new routines. We are wiser. We uh, we know so much more about our own emotional reactions and about uh, how others react and how different these reactions are. So what people are really craving right now in in large organizations and this is also what I hear from the media industry is you know new ideas and hopefully when you know when the wheels start turning again I'm sure that I mean there'll be a bunch of new ideas and a bit of an explosion even because some of us has been you know we we've been waiting a little bit and maybe you know sitting there thinking okay so So hopefully inspiration will come to me but inspiration will come to all of us when we start to see our colleagues again and engage in new ways. So so I'm sure there'll be many new ideas after this pandemic as well. We're all looking forward to the TV industry's roaring 20s that's hopefully coming. <laughs> exactly. Up. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Hope to speak to you again very soon. Thank you Justin and uh, keep safe. My next guest on this week's telecast is Lucy Smith, the newly appointed director of MIPCOM as well as MIP TV at Read Me Dem. Welcome to Telecast, Lucy. Hi, thank you, Justin. It's great to be here with you today. Congratulations on your new role. Well, thank you. Um, before I tell you about it, I just wanted to say something, actually, Justin, which is about uh, kind of telecast. Really, I've. Um, really started following right from the beginning so it kind of feels like i've been able to follow the different uh, you know tv execs that you've had on the show throughout the last uh, almost a year now so sort of taking the temperature on people what their feelings were about mip tv and mipcom you know we've been a bit on a the same sort of journey um starting work from home learning about teams homeschooling mip tv being cancelled <laughs> yeah. goodness me anyway it was so i just wanted to say i really appreciated going on the journey with you guys uh, and it's been uh, it's been good oh that's fantastic to hear well it's uh, it has been you know a, a year like no other really i mean this is the 46th episode. Yeah, we've been all around the world talking to lots of different execs and hopefully we're going to go and talk to a lot more in the future. So it's it's fantastic looking forward now to MIP TV in the not too distant future. So before we come on to that, can you just expand a little bit on your new responsibilities in your new role? Yeah, absolutely with pleasure. I mean, first of all, I guess I'd like to just say, you know, I had the pleasure of working with Lorene um Gerard at at MIP for over 10 years. Um we had a great, you know, relationship and uh, worked very closely together. Um so there's a lot of things that will be, you know, in continuity. Back to your question, yeah, I'm taking over as show director for MIPCOM as well as MIP TV and uh 
I have to say I'm really looking forward to the challenge and the excitement that will be part of, you know, running the world's biggest entertainment content market um, in Cannes. So um, very excited about that. Um, and of course, we already have, you know, an amazing team who's in place who will continue developing developing the shows. Now, you must have learned a lot about TV in the, I think, 15 years, is it, since you've been at, at Read Me Dem and in the TV division since 2009? Correct. It's a bit. Uh, yes, thank you for reminding me of that. I have. I've been. I've been part of the division for quite uh, for quite a while, and I think uh, that's what is going to be very you know useful for me is because I I started off by running all of the conference and content side of the the, the mid markets, which has um, was a great way to you know build the network and to really understand um, and stay informed about the industry because you know as we all know. Uh, it's all about, you know, understanding what's happening. It's about talking and listening, um, listening to clients, understanding what the new needs are going to be, um, just to make sure that, you know, the markets will continue to, you know, serve the industry's needs, um, as best, you know, as they should. Um, and I think the most recent experience, um, you know, obviously I brought to that was, um, having spearheaded the transformation of, uh, MIP TV last year, which obviously the big frustration was it didn't actually happen. But yeah, there's been a lot of changes in the industry, you know, as we know over the last, uh, over the last year, um, and years. Um, and we're going to have, you know, we'll be looking at that and, uh, taking all the learnings, you know, the importance of the streaming, um, uh, part of the business is absolutely key and the, the, all of those new business models. Um, and of course, you know, the impact of the pandemic. Um, on everything and everyone. So yeah, lots of challenges and hopefully I'll be bringing a lot of great experience uh, to the new role. And nothing's changed more, I suppose, than the challenges that uh, that live events have faced and markets have faced in, in, in the last year. But in terms of your approach to MIP TV and MIPCOM, how would you say it will differ from Lorene's? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we're not the same people, so we won't have the the same, you know, approach. Um, but I do think that the main um, the main thing to really sort of think about is that the job is going to be very different because we're coming into this now, you know, coming out, we hope, coming out of uh, this um, major pandemic and at a time when the industry has transformed so rapidly um, and all of the changes that were happening were just accelerated. So I think, you know, I'll be bringing that experience of understanding um, and really staying on top of what's going on and using um, the the relationships and working very closely with the clients and getting the feedback as we go along and as we um, all sort of steer our, our path to the future of uh, MIPCOM and MIPTV. Now, coming to this year's virtual MIPTV, which is scheduled for the 12th to the 16th of April, why should delegates attend the event this year? Delegates should really be attending MIPTV. It is as it is the um, most anticipated week each spring for the global TV industry. And it's been, you know, almost 60 years, 58th MIPTV is coming up. So there's a real need to maintain the MIPTV week. And that's what we've, you know, really learned. It's it's the importance of um, giving that moment in time so the industry can come together and really focus on doing, you know, on doing business. Um, so what we were, um, you know, as we were looking at, uh, make, well, as we made the decision that MIPTV really had to be held entirely online uh, this April, um, uh, we, we looked at our experience over the year and we made the decision that we should um, bring the international community together around a week of one-to-one pre-scheduled matchmaking meetings um, along with the speed networking conferences um, and really giving people access to new buyers and commissioners and helping them to have a very infi- efficient um, experience. Um, so there's really, uh, there's three different ways to take part um, at MIPTV. There'll be the uh, one-to-one distribution market, uh, which will address all genres. So that's across um uh, you know, doc, factual, uh, drama and kids. And that's really the heart of a MIP, MIP market. Um, so, you know, as I said, we'll be giving our dis- the distributors access to um, new buyers as well as some of the buyers they already know. There's the 
Second offer is a one-to-one co-production and development forum, and that's focusing on the unscripted side. Now, as um, as you probably know, we 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 have um, brought MIPDoc and MIP formats into the heart of MIP TV. So we're really focusing on um, you know giving producers the opportunity to bring bring new projects to the show, and they'll be able to meet with buyers, commissioners, distributors, um, other producers, and basically funding partners. Um, and then the third, um, the third way to book, to take part is uh, just kind of as a delegate. So it's access to the platform with a digital pass, um, and that gives uh, all of the the, the clients um, will be able to come together for um, open networking, speed meetings, and of course, you know, the conference program, which is always very um, important at uh, MIP. They get access to fresh fresh TV another you know market intelligence everything we do is going to be focused on trying to give people ways to meet and discover new uh you know new partners so that's the the digital pass and one other aspect is uh for the buyers we're we're inviting key drama buyers to um attend the seventh mip drama uh screenings which uh, we've had some great entries for so that's going to be pretty exciting too can you take us through the highlights? Are there any exclusive news that you can give us about MIP TV this year? Um, yes, I can actually, which is good. I've, we've got, um, there'll always be, you know, some great highlights happening at uh, a MIP TV event. And this year um, we'll be um, putting on the second MIP SDG award, which is um, in support of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We developed this actually for last MIP TV um, in partnership with United Nations. We've been talking to them for a long time about finding a way to help really support um, the sustainable development goals. Um, and this year, MIP is awarding A&E Network's president, Paul Buccieri, uh, with the award for reducing inequality, which is the UN goal number 10. You know, A&E has got multiple internal and external initiatives um around you know reducing equality and uh, they they really have been a fantastic partner for us at the mid markets um we created the women in global entertainment power lunch together and the next mipcom will actually be the 10th anniversary and we've lived some really powerful moments during those um lunches that we've been lucky enough to have in can um for the most part with uh for example, just recent um, events, there was the discussion with the producers and, and the victims of the uh, Peabody Award winning documentary, Surviving R. Kelly. Um, and I remember very vividly having, when we had Catherine Zeta-Jones come to um, the lunch and it was just after the Harvey Weinstein scandal had uh, you know, covered the front pages um, and talking very early on about the uh, Me Too movement. And there were a lot of really, you know, meaningful conversations happening in that uh, room around the table. So uh, they've been a really great partner. And the other area is on the diversity side. We've had the, um, at MIPCOM, we organized the, the, the fourth Diversify TV Excellence Awards. And A&E have always been a founding partner on that. I mean, it's an area that I'm very passionate about, um, as was Lorene. Um, and I do believe that it's very important for us at the MIP markets to offer a platform to help give the industry um, a way to to show the support of social change. Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, you know I think it's really important you know coalescing around event that is you know really taking those sustainability issues seriously and taking them rip the forward, which I think I think everybody realizes in the industry that uh, that we have to have to really make an effort to uh, to push for that change. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier on, you, we talked about some initial new plans that you'd sketched out for the new live MIP TV before COVID-19 hit. What does the pandemic mean for the future reinvention of MIP TV once we start to come back into the, the real world, if you like? Well, I think, I mean, the most important thing um, that I'd like to say up top on that is that we will be back in Cannes next April. Um, I mean, we do really sort of believe that um, MIP TV's importance as an industry event will become even more so um, as we see that, uh, you know, people's behavior will have changed. There was potentially less travel, um, 
due to also the carbon footprint that we're all very aware of. And MIPTV offers very much a sort of one-stop shop for, for the industry to come together. Um, but if we talk a little bit about what we were, what, you know, we were doing for last MIP TV, we were before COVID hit and we had to cancel. Um, we were in the process of this transformation. Um, and that was really based on the results of talking to the industry through, uh, you know, some, some research that we carried out and conversations that we had. Um, and we listened and we, we did work on finding ways to offer clients a more sort of efficient and cost effective way to take part in MIP TV, um, give them a way to have a, uh, you know, different presence than they had necessarily at, uh, at MIPCOM. Um, we also know that the world has changed beyond recognition now. Um, you know, so we do need to go back to our clients and start those conversations up again so that we can design, you know, the market that really does sort of meet their future needs. Um, so I can't sort of tell you what it will be, but uh, I can tell you we'll be back in Cannes next April. Read Medium's a, a huge event company. Um, you run hundreds of events a year in music and property and various other sectors outside TV and the content industry. What's Read Me Dem learned from a year of digital events? We've learned a lot. Um, the first thing, though, I would like to say is we've learned the importance of physical markets and face-to-face -face and being in Cannes. Um, I don't think I've ever heard so many people talking about, you know, the desire for a glass of rosé in Cannes or walking along the croisette and bumping into, uh, you know, people they want to meet with. But, yeah, I mean, more seriously, uh, I think we have learned a lot. We were the first to deliver, um, you know, with MIP TV digital markets at scale with, um, you know, 5,000 uh, participants online at MIP TV and other 6,000 plus for MIPCOM. Um, and now we're bringing those learnings um, together to MIP TV. We also ran MIP China online, which was with pre-scheduled meetings and also MIP Cancun in November. Um so we, you know, we've taken the learnings from from those events as well as having, you know, the group. We're part of uh, Read Exhibitions, and um, there's more than you know 400 events around the world. So we have a big community, and we share a lot of information um, on the different digital initiatives. So we can, you know, use that common knowledge to improve the experience. And we do believe that digital is going to be a big part of the future alongside the physical markets, even when we do, you know, get back to more physical markets. Um, we're investing um, heavily in digital as a complement um, to the physical markets, and all of them will be, you know, augmented digitally in some way from now on. Uh, we want, we, we think that this will help to, um, you know, provide better experiences, whether it be face-to-face, -face, uh, because it does help you to better prepare a market, um, or virtually. Um, you know, because the digital also offers access to a much wider audience. So there's lots of opportunities um, and we're really looking in depth at what they are and, uh, you know, how we can really work with the industry on, um, you know, putting on more, um, more sort of digital features and facilities for them. So we can expect blended events, if you like, going forward. Yeah, I think that it's really about how the how digital can really augment the experience. Um, but we do also know that the, you know, the physical face to face um, is going to be absolutely key. But digital will, will, you know, just improve the experience. There's many different ways to look at that. Now, looking ahead to MIPCOM in October, and I realise it probably feels like a long way away. Uh, and we're all hoping you know, finally, we're thinking that that is probably the first real-world major event in the TV industry that we can get back to and, and meet each other face-to-face. -face. Can delegates expect a relative return to normal at, uh, at MIPCOM in October? Um, I think, you know, let's say that we're very optimistic, of course, um, you know, in the same way. I think we're all, you know, desperate to get back to, to Cannes. We're working very closely with our, our clients on, um, you know, on MIPCOM already. So it sounds early, but to be honest, it's, you know, the planning is already uh, very much underway and there's already, you know, over a hundred sort of uh, exhibitors already, um, you know, signed up. So there's a lot, a lot happening. It's really becoming, it's feeling very real to us. 
Cannes really does sort of mean something to everyone. Outside of uh, Hollywood, it's the red carpet capital of the world. And that's what we are gearing up towards for MIPCOM. And just last week, actually, um, Cannes series um, did announce that they wouldn't be taking place in April physically, where they had originally uh, planned to be alongside MIPTV. So they will be um, in Cannes with us at MIPCOM, which will make it, you know, even more um, the biggest entertainment uh, event of the year. Um, so, you know, for us, we're hoping that the uh, the rollout of the vaccination programs will have the impact, you know, that we're all hoping for. Uh, you know, it's clear that there's a lot of demand and a lot of desire to go back. Um, but alongside that, of course, we are extremely focused on everything regarding health and safety. And, you know, it's a little early to know exactly what those uh, measures will be. But we're working along with our partners in Cannes and, you know, with the Palais um, and, uh, of course, with our group um, on how we best put on um, safely an event in this sort of new normal that you mentioned uh, earlier. Um, Justin. So, uh, yeah, I think that um, back to normal, um, it'll be a new normal, but back to can will be the main thing. It's obviously really difficult to predict right now, but taking the UK as an example, um, the government here is racing to vaccinate the whole adult population, we believe, by autumn or starting in autumn. Obviously, this is differing country by country across the EU and, and uh, across the, uh, the the wider world. Um, just thinking about the practicalities, will MIPCOM attendees need to prove they've been vaccinated to gain entry to the Palais, for example? Right. Um, I mean, clearly there's going to be, you know, protocols um, in place from the group about, uh, you know, how we organise um, MIPCOM, but um, it's way too early um, to, to talk about that right now. Um, we know that the biggest barrier is going to be about, uh, is going to be around international travel. Um, you know, as I said, we're following the vaccination, um, you know, programs everywhere. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of hope that they're going to, um, be in place this summer. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's something that we need to come back to a little bit later in the year. Um, I'd be very happy to come back and talk to you about it, Justin. But I think that it's just a bit too early for us to know exactly what the you know new protocols are going to be. And now it's time for Story of the Week, where my guests get to highlight the TV industry news story that's caught their eye in the past seven days. Lucy, what's your Story of the Week? My Story of the Week is actually from C21 last week. And it's about the global non-profit organisation, Doc Society, um, they've launched the Climate Story Fund, um, giving filmmakers grants for projects tackling the climate crisis. And I just thought that, you know, this really is the most important sort of subject of our lives right now. Um, so giving creators funds and access to experts, because that's also part of this, um, to help them create stories to support the climate crisis. I just think that's uh, hugely important. Um, and it kind of struck me. Once we're actually out of what's right in front yeah. of us now, the, the pandemic, the real big issue is the year of Glasgow, a huge summit coming up uh, later this year in Glasgow that's that's obviously going to set the agenda, hopefully for real change around climate change for you know for the whole world. So let's keep our fingers crossed for that. But uh, no, that's a that's obviously a very timely story. Yeah, no, absolutely. Every week, I ask my guests to nominate their hero of the week and who or what they want to get in the bin. Lucy, who's your hero of the week? My hero of the week is Michelle Obama. Um, I'm a big fan of Michelle Obama, and I thought she did a lot of uh, you know great work on as a first lady, and she's a real sort of inspiration. Um, and this story is about her, you know, with her new production company, along with her with Barack Obama, um, Higher Ground Productions. There creating a new kid series all going to be helping kids in healthy eating and I thought that was uh you know a lovely story and so she is my hero of the week and who or what are you telling to get in the bin okay so this is a bit sort of double-edged because I'm actually putting in the bin um the Golden Globes um voters for not having um nominated Michaela Coles uh, her and her amazing series I May Destroy You um, I thought, you know, I mean, her series was just incredible um, and important and she, you know, absolutely deserved um, her place there. 
But I do know that they did nominate um, for the first time three female directors, which was a good thing. So I can't put them totally in the bin, but half in the bin. But yeah, disappointment about McKenna Cole. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that seemed to be a uh, you know a rather large snub, and I think that everybody's been talking about that on uh, on social media over the last few days. Lucy, thank you so much for coming on Telecast and telling us all about MIP TV and uh, and how you're going to be approaching MIPCOM later this year. I look forward to sharing a glass of rosé in the Palais with you in October. Thank you very much, Justin. I look forward to that too, and I'm sure we will. It's a date. Now, my final guest on this week's show is our regular well-being and career coach, Tracy Forsyth. Welcome again to the show, Tracy. Thank you, Justin. Lovely to be here. Well, it's great to have you on. This week, we're going to be talking a little about the other end. We spoke earlier on in the show about leadership, but you've seen something in the press that you wanted to share and some some thoughts about maybe leadership from the other side of the fence. Yes, exactly. What I want to talk about today is how do we go about demanding with difficult demanding bosses? And the reason that came to mind was that at the weekend, I saw a newspaper article about the Australian Open. And there's a Russian tennis player called Daniil Medvedev, and he was losing his his match. And he started yelling, yelling, yelling at his coach. His coach was sitting in the box nearby. And eventually the coach, he just packed up picked up his bag and walked out. It really sort of piqued my interest that that this coach had just walked off because he was being yelled at. And it made me question, you know, actually, in my career and other people's careers, what would they do if they were being yelled at? And if that person yelling at them was their boss? So I posted a poll on my Instagram stories and asked, okay, would you walk out if you were being yelled at at work? And if the person doing the yelling was your boss? And I was so surprised because only 40% said that they would go which meant 60% say that he would stay with the yelling boss. Wow. Yeah, so today I just wanted to focus on what to do because I think that that means to me that many people either are used to it or feel that they have no choice. And it's really, really tricky, I think, dealing with a difficult, demanding boss. So I just wanted to talk about that today. So 60% of people would put up with a boss that shouts at them. You know, I wonder if the TV industry is, you know, that's particularly a problem. I mean, we saw last week there was a, a piece about Gogglebox. I know Beckhu are now involved in that. This is all about reports of bullying behavior on the set of Gogglebox. And I think we've heard lots of different reports over the years about similar incidents. Obviously, that's just an accusation. We don't know if that's been proven or not. But it's probably, you know, quite a prevalent issue in such a creative industry. It's not excusing anything. It's probably in every industry. I've been working now for 30 years. And I suppose when I started, I'm not sure about yelling. Well, I did have a boss who would come out the door and yell at everybody. um, And nobody would bat an eyelid, certainly more in the sort of news, current affairs, that kind of area. It was less common in features and fact end. Anybody who's working in television, especially if you've worked with contributors or on-screen talent, will probably know what it's like to work with demanding talent. I think people in television are very adept at getting things done and moving around the mountain rather than trying to go through it. There are all kinds of ways that I think you can deal with it. Whether they are right or wrong, that's the discussion. So in my time, I think... You know, when I think of the demanding bosses that I've had, some have been brilliant. They've just had high standards, et cetera, et cetera. But some, you know, are difficult demanding bosses. So some of the ways that I thought are, well, you know, you can become a yes man or a yes woman, you know. So if they say jump, you say how high. But seriously, how tiring is that? You know, the issue there is that you're just living in fear and um, living like a little jumping robot, in many cases, it's a matter of survival, isn't it? You have to do a job to earn money, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't always have have the choice about, well, there's always a choice, but it's not an easy choice. So you could become a yes man. I mean, I think the other thing that I've tried in my day, this is with on-screen talent and bosses, is flattery. 
you know, so that's not quite, I'm not sure I've uh, gone as far as uh, telling my boss that I thought they looked particularly beautiful or handsome that day. But certainly that, that, you know, that whole thing about making them think it's their idea, if it's a good idea, that is a form of sort of flattery, isn't it? Is if you want to get something done and you've got a difficult boss, you know, there are ways and means of making them think it's their idea. So suddenly they like the idea. That's called managing upwards, I think, isn't it? <laughs> That's managing upwards. Okay. So that might be more common than I think. The other thing that I learned pretty early on that when it came to on-screen talent, and I guess the sort of bosses or people above me, was that it pays to make them look good. You know, so for example, there was a presenter that I worked with who was very, very heavily involved in the scripting of the series. And you had to go and see this presenter before you went out and shot your item. And um, this presenter would go through your script, go through, there were bits in the studio, there were bits on location. And I soon learned that if I was giving all the best lines to the presenter on location rather than this presenter in studio, there would be a big red line through it. So I quickly learned to give all the best lines, the best punchline, the juiciest stuff to the main presenter who was going to be in the studio because, of course, they wanted to look good. They wanted to have the best lines. And, you know, it was um, not a bad idea because it meant that your stuff got kept in. And and to be fair, this presenter was very, very good at what they did. And they probably did have a greater impact if they got the best or the juiciest, juiciest bits. So that's one thing is just make sure. And that, that, that goes for all your bosses. You know, if you're helping them with a big presentation or you're you're feeding into a big piece of work, it's like it is in your interest if they also look good. Hopefully you will work with a boss who is generous of spirit, who also credits you for your work. It isn't a boss that shouts and behaves poorly like that. Isn't that a sign of weakness, though? I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, nowadays it's completely unacceptable. And if it's still going on, there are going to be many more people agreeing with you that that's not the way it should be. Again, 30 years ago, I think nobody would have batted an eyelid. But the, the other thing I, I think on that point, you know, is I think you raise a good point there, Justin, because often it's not personal to you. It may be the situation and their frustration coming out rather than anything to do with you. And obviously, a good way of sensing that is that you won't be the only one that they're they're behaving badly to. Right. So, I mean, if you can, it's very difficult when you're in there and that, you know, the abuse of power. And if somebody's very high up and you're very low down, etc., it's very difficult to, to have that perspective. But if possible, try not to take it personally and think, well, as it is it more about them, probably than it is about me. So keep a level head if possible. Don't suffer in silence, definitely. Share share what's going on with your loved ones and your friends. And obviously, if it gets into a bullying situation and it's affecting your mental health, then, you know, there are all kinds of procedures that have to be take, taken place. If it is a sort of, you know, a demanding boss rather than a... Um, necessarily a difficult one then i think what what really helps is to be proactive and and think think one step ahead of what they are thinking you know it's like anticipate what they are going to ask you stay one step ahead so you know that old saying don't bring me problems bring me solutions i mean it is true it's tempting when you're trying to figure something out and i've been guilty of it is going to my bosses in the past going well this is a situation and I've done this and I've done that and I've tried this but only for them to say well so what well what what's the answer then what's your solution so always think think solutions rather than problems and when I was having to present to the board big official business cases the advice top down was always come to us with options and a recommendation you know your boss may well want you to do all the legwork and all the thinking that's why you're there and and come up with the different options the sort of pros and cons and what you think is the best way forward they may not go with that recommendation but at least they will they will see the thinking and the reasoning easily laid out and so sort of like i guess that's sort of top down thinking is think of it from their point of view and also you know what i think is a really good thing is if you are a line manager yourself and you complain about the people who report to you because they are bringing you problems, not solutions, et cetera, et cetera. Just ask yourself, am I, am I guilty of that at all? I know I have been in the past. I guess my penultimate point is to remember you are there to do a job. You have been hired for your expertise, which your boss doesn't necessarily have. 
So they may need you as much as you need them. So there should be, I don't care what kind of the hierarchy is, there should be a mutual respect there. You know, productions, for example, wouldn't happen without the runner. It wouldn't happen without the floor manager. It wouldn't happen. It doesn't matter what role you're in. You are there to do a particular role. And even though somebody might be the boss, their job is to be a good boss and to be have a clarity of vision and a clarity of strategy and, and to make sure it all happens. Your job is to do your thing. So even though they may be more experienced than you and on a different level to you, there should be that mutual respect that you are there to do your jobs. And, and my last point is really to know your line in the sand. You know, what is your walkaway point? You know, it's like that coach in that um, in the open. It's like he, he, you know, he obviously felt that his tennis star, whatever, had crossed a line. He simply packed up his bags and then he left. So it's not an easy choice to make often, you know, if you're there because you you want the experience or you, you need the paycheck, et cetera, et cetera. But know your line in the sand. And obviously, if it is something that you would classify as bullying, that that's a whole different conversation. So this is what, what we've talked about today is really if you've got a demanding, difficult boss, not necessarily a bully. If it's a bully, then, you know, that there's, that's a whole different conversation. It's perhaps more difficult for freelancers as well particularly in the uh, in the current climate isn't it when you know to draw that line in the sand when you may be throwing away a week's worth of work it's definitely not easy and i've worked most of my life as a freelancer and then in a big corporate and it is not easy because you are living from job to job you know i think in television whatever there are now unfortunately starting to be companies that are known known as not good places to work, or there are certainly becoming people who are being exposed as bad bosses, et cetera, et cetera, which is great, isn't it? And um, yeah, it is. it's not great that they're there, but it's great that people are kind of forewarned. It's not an easy choice to make. It's make sure that you are making a conscious choice about taking on um, a role like that. And I think it's always that kind of thing, like, what is your line in the sand? You know, you have to be, to thine own self be true. It's not always an easy choice. Speaking personally, I've done it a couple of times in the sense that I've resigned a client because of, of how they've behaved on the phone, particularly shouting, actually. Yeah, it's it's something that you never want to turn down business, but actually when you do it, you do feel a lot better, actually, for it, even though there might be a bit of short-term pain, but actually in the long term, you can look at yourself and say, actually, I'm really glad I did that and I feel good about myself. Yes. And I think I think that's right. I think it's like if you make a choice, what what does it cost you? You know, you know, what does it cost you? What is the, you know, is the monetary gain worth the whatever the emotional toll or the, you know, the, the, the just the misery of actually doing the job? Well, what are your options? And be true to yourself, you know? It feels to me like a bit of a hangover, really, from the 80s and 90s and you know, and the last decade as well. And hopefully a lot of these these bosses who felt that they could behave however they wanted, maybe they are starting to be retired over the next few years. And and this is going to be part of the, the levelling up that we're hopefully going to see. I, I think some of those people may not be self-aware enough to know that they are being like that. You know, maybe that's letting them off the hook. But I think if they've grown up in those environments, they just think that's what leadership is. And it's not. Tracy, thanks so much again for coming on the show. And we'll put a link to Fast Track to Fearless in the episode description uh, where everybody can find out a lot more about your training and, and leadership courses. Brilliant. Thank you, Justin. Well, we've reached the end of another week's show. As always, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Telecast and share it with friends and colleagues. This week's show is sponsored by Insight TV, who passionately create and share content for the experienced generation. Channel provider, content producer, distributor, and format seller, Insight TV delivers real-world stories about the adventures, cultural trends, and social causes that resonate with today's millennial and Gen Z audiences. Based upon and inspired by social media trends and influencers, Insight TV operates and distributes a flagship lifestyle channel in vivid 4K UHD HDR quality to 315 million homes in 46 countries via linear cable platforms, digital smart TVs, OTT services, and via watchinsight.tv. 
It also distributes a mobile-first short-form channel in short, action sports channel in trouble, science and tech channel in wonder, and a nature and wildlife channel in wild, a co-venture with Off The Fence, to fast channels and mobile services around the world. Inside TV partners with global brands and broadcasters, such as Red Bull Media House, G2 Esports, Vice Media and BT Sports, to create factual series like Epic Exploring, I Am Invincible and Ultimate Goal. To find out how to do great things together with Insight TV, visit insight.tv or get in touch with the team at marketing at insight.tv. And a quick reminder to sign up for our new free newsletter called Telecast Plus. It's packed with interesting TV industry stories of the week you may have missed, exclusive insight and opinion, including the secret producer, our intrepid anonymous exec reporting from the front line of TV production. It's all completely free. Just visit our website to sign up at telecast-podcast.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Telecast was edited by Ian Chambers and recorded in Lockdown 3 in London. Until next Thursday, as always, stay safe.